Welcome to Conversational Commerce. Each week, we'll be having real and raw conversations with operators and experts in e-commerce, all about what conversational commerce means to them. I'm your host, Stephanie Griffith. Let's jump in. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Postscript. There are other SMS solutions out there, but Postscript is hands down our favorite SMS tool for e-commerce brands using Shopify and Shopify Plus. They work with some of our favorite brands like Olipop, Brooklinen, Kapari, and thousands of others. And sure, they are our sponsor for this show. Thanks, Postscript, but we love them for many other reasons. Postscript is the leader empowering brands to have two-way conversations with their customers using conversational commerce. They have integrations with your favorite platforms like Gorgeous and Klaviyo, so your brand can be truly conversational. Most importantly, their customer support is next level. I've worked with brands that use Postscript and have been blown away by their customer support. It's no wonder they have over 1,400 reviews and are rated 4.9 stars in the Shopify App Store. For a free 30-day trial, check out our link in the show notes or visit them at postscript.io. Again, that's postscript.io. Hey folks, uh, we are here to kick off the inaugural episode of Conversational Commerce. Um, I'm so excited that Mandy Moshe agreed to join us today. I've had the great fortune of working with her in a former life. Um, so I know that she knows everything there is to know about retention. She's currently the director of retention at Common Thread Collective. Uh, and Mandy, we're just so glad that you're here uh, to join us. So thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. Of course. So honored to have even been invited, let alone be the inaugural guest. So just really excited to chat. Love it. No pressure. We're going to keep it really low key. Um, And for folks listening in, this show is all about having kind of real and raw conversations. So, yep, we've got some, you know, themes we want to cover, but we're, this is not scripted. We're doing it live. So the whole point is to just have this as an organic conversation. Um, but for the theme essentially for today, Mandy, we would just love to get, you know, your POV on all things retention, but especially as it plays into conversational commerce. So of course it's the name of the show. We've obviously, I think, clued in as marketers that there's a growing trend here towards the conversational element of the work that we're, we're all striving to do. Um, so I would love to kick it off and just get kind of your POV and your interpretation of what the fuck is conversational commerce? Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid to just throw it out there. Like, what, what's your perspective on that? What does it mean to you? Before I even answer that, I'm so glad that you already dropped an F-bomb. Because <laughs> I kept just being like, don't cuss. Don't cuss. Be a decent person for once. So now that that... All bets are off. Yeah, exactly. So perfect. Way to kick us off. Um, yeah, I would say from my perspective, conversational commerce is really bringing to life this concept of one-to-one communication in our marketing efforts. And I think the idea of truly personal communication has been buzzing around, particularly in email marketing, which is where I got my start for a decade or more. Um, but really the level of effort to bring this to life, I think has been historically really high. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's just been a lot of development in recent years on the technology side in terms of AI, as well as greater adoption of two way communication channels like SMS Mm -hmm. and chat. And so this concept I think is a lot more accessible than it used to be, but in general, I think it's something that largely remains untapped, despite the fact that we've been talking about personalization ad nauseum for God knows how long. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, even just looking at people using SMS now, which is really 
meant to be an interactive channel, we're still seeing a lot of this like one to many campaign mm-hmm. class. And um, so I think overall, we are kind of at this really beautiful turning point in e-com where we actually have the tools at our disposable to make our disposal to make this really simple to execute mm-hmm. even for small brands that might be resource strapped. So um, I'm hoping we can actually start doing it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many, I'm going to try not to say so many things back because I, I already love this so much because I think, and I recently talked about this on Twitter of like the difference between something being personalized and something feeling personal. And I think mm-hmm. that's really the unlock regardless of channel, but especially for email. And so you and I really share that background where mm-hmm. as email marketers, we love to think we are sending the most personalized communications. Like, you know, here's what is it? The gold standard, send the right message to the right person at the right time. Um, But it goes so much deeper than just pulling in someone's first name or, you know, sending a a transactional communication of, Hey, Stephanie, we know that, you know, this is what you've purchased. Yeah. That's personalized, but it doesn't really have that personal connotation. And I think that's kind of the paradigm shift uh, that we're seeing here. So I really Mm -hmm. love that you kind of, you, you, went full send on that right from the go. Um, and I'd love to even pose the question too of like, I don't know, as marketers, like, do you, do you think we're really doing a lot of those things yet? I think I can kind of, I can kind of guess what your answer might be. We've, we've said we're making things personal. We said we're, you know, we're doing one-to-one and not one-to-many, but like, are we actually, are we really there yet? I don't think we are. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, you hear a lot of people kind of just starting oddly enough, just starting to kind of realize that it's possible for marketers to track that you're browsing a product or carding an item. Like (laughs) this is kind of an epiphany for some people. Um, And I think the recent changes to privacy laws are kind of bringing into the forefront of people's minds, just how much information brands have on them. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that there's an element of kind of creepiness that comes into a lot of automation and that people don't love knowing that a brand is aggregating so much data on them that it powers this kind of bizarre automation. Mm -hmm. So I think to me, the thing that's missing from the conversational element of it is it doesn't feel like there's a human behind it. It feels like you're reaching some sort of predetermined milestone that is baked into the functionality of the tech stack that a brand is using. And you're getting a message at that moment for that reason. It Mm -hmm. doesn't feel like it's filtered through a human lens. And Mm -hmm. I think we're kind of missing that that empathy and that personal connection that comes in like a truly spectacular customer experience um, in favor of those little bits of personalization that I think we like to pat ourselves on the back about. Oh, I love it. Uh, Really? Yeah. I mean, I think we're keeping it real. Right. And I love, I love that. That's why we're opening up this dialogue because I think we've, we've tried to give ourselves a lot of credit as marketers, especially, you know, working agency side or working in house, like everyone wants to think that, they're doing the best of the best in terms of, you know, we're making it super, you know, hyper personalized and that that is the key to success. And I think you again hit the nail on the head with consumers are now realizing, oh, I'm giving up all of this information. And so if it's not being used in a way that that feels really personal, then then what am I why am I doing that? Why am I letting brands track me? Um, you know, why am I giving up this this yeah, these pieces of information about myself, if it's not going to have that personal kind of feel. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love your focus on the human element there. I think my follow up to that is I think we've seen and I'd love your POV on this of kind of the evolution of it started out very much as like, direct response marketing, right? And then it was Mm -hmm. email marketing. Email marketing is the thing we know this to be true, of course, but then it turned into lifecycle marketing. 
And I think the next evolution of that is retention marketing, which of course is what you're really specializing in. And I think kind of that interplay between retention marketing and conversational commerce now. So Mm -hmm. I love kind of your POV on how do you feel about that trajectory? How do you feel about that shift? And really where, you know, where is that relationship between retention and conversational commerce? Yeah, I think, you know, my point of view for retention is really working in the channels that tend to support customer retention. Mm-hmm. So once you get that first conversion, how are you continuing to nurture that relationship and bring people back and building that brand loyalty? So oftentimes that falls to channels like email and SMS, mm-hmm. or um, you know if you have like loyalty and referral programs in place and sort of the communications that surround that, mm-hmm. most of which again are supported through email and SMS. Um, I think. They absolutely support conversational commerce if they're Mm -hmm. used appropriately. Um, But again, I think, you know, if we're talking about customer retention, they just want to be treated like Like people. They want empathy and understanding. Mm -hmm. They want to feel known. And I think above all, customers want things to be easy. And Mm -hmm. so I think part of the reason that we're seeing so many people opting out of having their data tracked is they're not seeing an appropriate kind of payoff for that. So brands have a ton of information about them and it's not actually translating into a better experience Mm -hmm. for them. They just feel like they're being, you know, duped or manipulated or marketed into buying things that they don't need. Um, So I think, you know, at the end of the day, (laughs) customers want to find a great product. They want to get it quickly. They want to get it at a great price. As human beings, we're just striving, I think, for shortcuts wherever Mm. we go. I think we're built to want to be loyal. Like, I don't want to have to shop around for things. I like having go-to brands for everything in my life. Um, But I think, you know, with the pivot to e-com that we've seen in the last 18 months since COVID, there's just more choice than ever. And Mm -hmm. it's, like, absolutely overwhelming and difficult for brands to stand out on the acquisition side of things. So I think it's really more important than ever for us to use those channels for mm-hmm. retention purposes to create really meaningful connection to kind of set yourself apart. Um, and I just still don't think that that's something that most brands are doing super well. Um, I think resourcing is a big issue and I think just a fundamental understanding of, of how to do it mm. is lacking. Yeah, I love that. I think something that stood out um, about what you said is like, make it easy, right? We have to make it convenient. And a client that I was recently working with actually sent me, I can't remember the article um, or where it was from, but what stood out for me, I think the, the headline of it or the main takeaway was you have to make it overwhelmingly simple um, and easy for for consumers to become loyal to your brand. Um, mm-hmm. And I think conversational commerce does go hand in hand with retention in that way of like, are we actually inviting them into the conversation here? Like, are, are, are we listening to customers um, so we can, you know, kind of take their feedback here and really curate those personal human interactions so it feels even easier to be like, yes, when I want to order, you know, a, a beverage. So, you know, let's say I'm ordering a beverage online or even if I'm looking for it in the store is like, who comes to mind? Not, I'm not afraid mm-hmm. to name drop Olipop big, huge fan. Uh, can't wait to talk to them later in the season about, you know, kind of their POV on this, because I do think there are some of those e-commerce brands that are finding those unique, those unique ways and those human ways to stand out. And that's what people are looking for. Um, I don't think we're going to see as many brands ascend to the ranks of, you know, some of the major retailers that we've grown up with, because none of that was built so much on personal interaction. And it was built mm-hmm. on 
you, you are going to be loyal to just the name and the brand rather than like, let's flip the script. And like, I really think we want brands to start to become more loyal to their customers. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's really what conversational commerce is hopefully going to unlock. So, yeah, I completely agree. I think that brands are just kind of starting to realize now exactly how much competition exists and mm-hmm. that we we're kind of past this phase of there being so much low hanging fruit when it comes to the acquisition side mm-hmm. of things. Like there's a finite number of opportunities to connect with your consumers and it's getting harder and harder to find the audiences that are likely to buy from you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly looking at some of the privacy changes and just the competition that we're seeing on traditional like paid acquisition sources, like Facebook advertising, mm. it is harder and harder and harder to scale in that way. And the competition is more fierce than ever. And I think people are just finally realizing like, you cannot continue to operate as though we are you know, living in that era of it being cheap and easy to acquire new customers. Like yeah. we are well beyond that phase. And so if you're just going to continue to rely on those old tactics and operate under the assumption that if your customers are turning, there's a whole swath of new people out there. Like that's just an absolutely naive point of view to have mm-hmm. at this point. And so I think, you know, I honestly think iOS 14 is like the number one thing that's getting people to actually start thinking a lot more about retention marketing and kind of the focus that I've seen even just in like the e-com buzz on Twitter around Mm -hmm. how important it is to to redouble your efforts on email or to get into SMS if you're not already doing that. Mm -hmm. I think it's really coming from all of those changes to the acquisition side of things. Like it is becoming crystal clear there are a finite number of customers out there. And if you are spending a bunch of money to acquire them, you better damn well keep them. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We'll write that one down. We're spending a bunch of money. You better better damn well keep them. Put that on a t-shirt. And I think summarizing that too, like brand loyalty isn't free. Like you have Mm -hmm. to, and not just free in terms of like spending, but actually the effort, kind of that human element that we're, you know, the human spin that we're putting on those things. Like we can't expect people to want to build relationships with brands if that effort's not being made first and foremost. So if the, the brand isn't putting in the effort, you know, to build that relationship, make it convenient for me to be loyal to them, why would I as the consumer want to go out of my way, you know, to give them more of my dollars and, you know, kind of build that transactional relationship, which is largely what we're trying to move away from. Um, mm-hmm. I do want to touch on iOS 14. I think Matt and I really focused on a key, tw- a key tweet of yours that uh, really stood out because I love this perspective. Um, so I don't want to take the floor away from Matt, but I'll summarize, like, you basically kind of highlighted and said, hey, like email and SMS are largely, you know, currently pretty safe from a lot of the changes that we're seeing. And of course, iOS 14 really rocked the boat um, for paid media marketers, everyone that was relying really heavily on Facebook. But that narrative kind of shifted and was like, well, you know, email and SMS are going to be fine. Like, just focus on retention. Like, just keep the folks you already have. And it's like, hey, newsflash, um, where do you think uh, you're getting some of these things? So I don't have a strong of a background on the paid media side. So I'm going to kick it over to Matt because I know this really stood out for him. And then we'd love to yeah, just have some additional dialogue with you around that. Thank you for not kicking us while we were down on the great <laughs> Facebook outage of October the 4th. A day I will remember in history of having a snow day of sorts because I couldn't do anything, but also trying to calm clients down. So thank Mm -hmm. you for not kicking us while all of us (laughs) media buyers were down already. 
Uh, your tweet was like, yes, SMS and email are cool. Yeah, they're still around. Yeah. And he got like, it was one of your most engaged with tweets. Not that I was tracking, but <laughs> we're big fans. <laughs> you, you, the, the, I was like, yes, Mandy, thank you. You said, where do you think you got your e email list from? Where do you think you got your SMS subscribers from? Facebook and Instagram drive traffic to sites. They get awareness of the brands. That's how they even get to the site to even capture the form and like their mm -hmm. email, their, their phone. We, we know that, but like, I thank you for just not being so email is everything and, and I'm the best and this is all it matters <laughs> sort of nonsense. Uh, so thank you for that. But that being said, what have you guys seen at, uh, either across your accounts, across the agency at common thread since iOS 14 and most recently 15 have come into the play the last few months, what has mm -hmm. been like a large macro trend? or even small win that you guys have been seeing the last few months that is a different tactic, a different mindset than it was the last six years, like you mentioned of the cheap Facebook arbitrage. Put in $1, get 10 back for right. six years. We, we got we got spoiled. So uh, any, any insight last couple months on these big changes? Yeah, I mean, I would just say I work alongside a lot of paid media buyers. So <laughs> I'm hearing, you know, or, you know, watching them suffer i will say <laughs> ever since ios 14 came out and sort of it's just harder than ever to win on those channels and i think particularly for smaller e-com retailers that just don't have a ton of budget it's hard to do anything mm -hmm. if you're not spending thousands of dollars a day you know i have a, a maker friend who her budget to put into paid advertising on facebook and insta is like 500 dollars a month and she's just like, you're just not going to get anything out of that anymore. So I think across the board, what we have been seeing is a lot of the conversation pivoting toward a greater focus on LTV as opposed to mm. ROAS. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Facebook and Instagram advertising, all social advertising isn't going anywhere, but it's just harder to achieve the same results with the same budget. And for scaling retailers, having cash flow is critically important to be able to continue to feed that advertising beast. But if you're not driving repeat purchases with your existing customers, you are double dipping on your acquisition costs, whether you're mm. having to go back out and find new customers or you're having to go through paid retargeting efforts to get those people back. So I think there's just a greater focus um, and certainly our demand pipeline for the retention channel <laughs> in September. Um, was a, a really an illustration of this. There's just been mm -hmm. a, a greater focus on the retailer side of making sure that they are putting as much emphasis on retention as they are on paid advertising, which I think when you're scaling a business doesn't feel as intuitive, mm -hmm. but it's really critical to building that solid foundation of loyal customers that's going to come back and really fuel your business. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot more people too starting to venture into SMS as a new revenue channel, I think a lot of retailers, and I sometimes fall victim to this too, but as a marketer, you never want to view things through the lens of your own experience as a consumer, because like, I don't really like getting SMS messages from brands. That's mm. probably blasphemy to say in my line of work. Um, I subscribe, don't worry, I subscribe to a bunch of them, but it's not my favorite channel of communication. And I think that there's been a lot of holdouts on the brand side, feeling mm. like, oh, it doesn't fit our brand or, oh, I don't want to receive text. I'm not going to do that. 
But I think there's a lot more of a willingness to try these new channels so that there's additional levers to pull on the retention side, as well as just opening up an entirely new revenue channel Mm -hmm. to kind of support them through this rocky period of trying to recalibrate their paid acquisition efforts. Yeah. Matt, do you want to chime in on that? Yes, because I love at the end there about, oh, it's not for our brand. Uh, SMS is, uh, oh, they don't want to text us. Just Wrong. like with email, they are opting in to hear from you. You mm-hmm. are not spam cold DM DMing and cold texting people. They mm-hmm. are you're getting their permission and consent to send them messages. So yes, maybe in some brands, in some cases, it's maybe a luxury uh leather backpack for five hundred bucks. Maybe they're not texting people. Maybe they are. I don't know. Those people mm-hmm. who can afford them are maybe on their phones more on business texts, like Who's to say? So, Mandy, why do you think it took so long for that? I know you meant, alluded to it about, oh, now that people want to focus on retention and emailing and customers and that foundation, but is it just because we saw such arbitrage opportunity of, mm. I put in $1, I get five back right. today. Is it just that for so long um, for most brands? Like, what what do you think took so long? <laughs> I think it's a bit of that. I also think, I mean, it's definitely a lot of that. Like if you're winning, why are you pivoting your efforts? Um, but I think in e-com, we tend to suffer from shiny object syndrome. Mm. Um, having been in email marketing for over a decade, I'm, you know, sick to death of reading articles about email being dead. And I feel like we're having this renaissance where people are finally like shutting the fuck up. (laughs) And we're like, okay, yeah, email's going to stick around for a while. Um, but I think that there's, you know, every year there's some new article that comes out about how the next generation is engaging with digital and there's a new social media platform coming out constantly. And I, I don't know, it must have something to do with the way that we use email for work or for Mm. correspondence with friends and family that people just like are sick of it. Um, But there seems to be just this desire to kill email marketing off in favor of some new form of media that is more interactive, more interesting, more potentially visual. Um, I don't know what it is. I don't hate email. Everybody I work with at CTC is like, Slack forever, kill email. (laughs) I'm like the one old person there trying to hold it down on the email side of things. Um, But I think think there's so much that's constantly changing in e-com and there's a lot to stay on top of that it's easy to say, oh, the thing that's been around for 20 to 30 years that's tried and true is this old dog and it's just not going to last forever. So I Mm -hmm. think it was easy to make email kind of this antiquated system that everybody wanted to leave behind and people are coming back around and realizing that it's actually an incredibly valuable platform when it's used well. I think the other thing is that, um, you know, email came out at a time where there was very little regulation around it. And so we kind of started off on the wrong foot. Mm -hmm. So lots of spammy kind of, I mean, just plain old spam, but also a lot of spammy approaches by retailers and a lot of the batch and blast. Um, that still happens quite mm-hmm. a bit. And like, look, full list sends work. They they're gonna make do. you, yeah. You send more. They're gonna make more money. people. They're gonna make more money. That doesn't mean we're advocating yeah. that that's the right strategy. Right. But right. people default to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that there's just been 
a historically poor relationship with the mm-hmm. way that people have inter- interacted with email um, because spammers are terrible and because a lot of retailers are spammers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're finally coming to realize that there are better ways to run it. And I think there's a lot more AI that is making that easier mm-hmm. for things to be implemented in a truly personal way without having a team of 10 email marketers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've certainly been a one woman show on the brand side as an email marketer. And this was before SMS was even widely used by brands. Um, it is really, really hard to do it personal and to do it well and to make things relevant all the time. Mm-hmm. So I think we're just kind of getting to this point where the technology is coming to the right point and we are losing the ability to easily execute at scale on an affordable level on other platforms. And people are kind of dipping back into the well to say like, well, what's been around? What's tried and true? What works? And how can we do it better? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I just had, um, I feel like we could write a whole dissertation on this, honestly, or straight up do like a talk on kind of the core DNA of email. And I'm going to largely compare it to SMS because I think that's, those are pro- probably two of the, the biggest channels you're seeing right now too. I had a really intelligent conversation um, with a gentleman named Brian Rance. He's, I believe he might be the director of marketing now, but he was recently the uh, evangelist at Cordial. Um, and so I had the good fortune of talking to him and getting some access to a cross-channel marketing study that they were doing specifically about email versus SMS adoption from both marketers and consumers. And we had a great chat about kind of the core DNA that email was architected on was not necessarily two-way. Not when we're talking about it from a marketing standpoint. Like, of course, if you throw it back to like AOL days and you've got mail, like, yes, there were those two-way conversations happening person to person. But as soon as marketers got a hold of it, it was this lawless land of send all the emails to all the people uh, regardless of if they're opted in or not. Um, and, you know, prior to the legislation that forced us to have opt-out mechanisms, people got away with a lot of shit <laughs> in mm-hmm. email world. And mm-hmm. so I think the kind of foundation and the tone that was sent there was, yeah, batch and blast, you know, one to many, not not even really one to one and forget two way. I, I, I think it's interesting when we try to defend email as like the channel to, to have these conversations. I'm like, how many emails are you sitting there responding to from brands? Like, mm-hmm. sure, there's the plain text sends that are, are much more personal. You know, typically they're they're crafted to to come from a CEO or someone from the customer experience team, whether that's, you know, true or not. And I think those can solicit responses, but usually people aren't being responded back to. Whereas mm-hmm. SMS, I think, has really carved out kind of a beautiful spot, spot of trying to undo all the wrongs that email did. Like it came out the mm-hmm. gate and it is heavily regulated. Like if you mm-hmm. want a short code, you have to apply and prove that you are not a spammer and you did not you know, purchase your list and you have really stringent mechanisms for how you're capturing that consent and that permission and that you're then following up and honoring that um, for mm-hmm. your, your subscribers as well. Um, so I think the the DNA of SMS is so much different and we're so used to, you know, what's the stat like, here's, hello, here's my phone. I'm sure our phones are all within a fingertips reach right now. Um, and that's true for so many Americans. Yeah, there you go. Two phones. There you got me. We've got a burner phone. Damn. <laughs> hey, two phones, one for the clients and one for the... Oh, that's smart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. But yeah, so I think 
so many folks are just, that's where we're having conversations, right? Not just personally, but now it was a much more natural um, evolution of that experience. So we as marketers mm -hmm. can, you know, look at ourselves and say, where are we having conversations? Oh, mm -hmm. on our phones, you know, we're interacting with brands through social media. We're, we're in their DMs. They're in our DMs. Like it feels special to have a brand mm -hmm. respond to you in such a personal and intimate way. And I think that's where SMS has that potential to shine. Um, so I'd love to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a breath from, from evangelizing that everyone knows I'm, I'm a huge SMS proponent. Um, but I'd love to hear from you, Mandy, like, what are you seeing with clients now? Or, and you can speak specifically or at a high level of like, what's the interplay right now between email and SMS? Um, what strategies are you seeing kind of work well in like one or both channels? I think there's a lot to unpack there. So I'm going to let you kind of put whatever spin on it you want. Yeah. I mean, I think just going back to what you were saying, it's so important to kind of look at the norms and expectations of each channel. Mm -hmm. And definitely with SMS, we all started using it to communicate with friends and family mm -hmm. on our smartphones. And so I think there is this expectation that it's a two-way channel. And I mm -hmm. still think even though we are entering into the channel, knowing that, that a lot of brands aren't doing a good job with it. And I, yeah. even when you guys invited me to be on this podcast, I was like, Oh, I'm going to do a little experiment ahead of time. Yeah. Every brand that I am subscribed to receive marketing messages from you, text I, tried, I tried replying. Yep. Same. And some of them, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Some of them tell you to click a link to go to talk to their chat, which like is better than nothing. Mm -hmm. But these are brands that I know are using platforms that have the functionality that they yeah. can have a CS rep in there responding and they're just not doing it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just such a missed opportunity. And, um, Stephanie, I always use something that you said on a Twitter spaces chat that we were on before, which is I used to say, Oh, SMS is an inherently intrusive channel, but mm. you reframed it as no, it's an intimate channel because yeah. it's just Matt's be. point earlier. They are opting in. Mm -hmm. They aren't just texting you out of the blue. So yeah. it really is. You're being invited into a more intimate space than someone's email inbox with SMS. And the mm -hmm. fact that you're not then making good on that by having a reciprocal relationship, I think is just such a huge missed opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just on the whole, there's not a lot of brands out there doing it well. And so you have these small retailers who maybe are scrappy and interested in trying it and they just don't have a model for mm. how that should look. Yeah. Um, but I will say one brand, I haven't even bought their product yet, but I follow them because I'm like obsessed with their model is verb energy. Have you guys heard of these guys? I, oh my gosh, I, I I'm getting, I literally have a tweet for like draft breaking down like their packaging, their SMS, because it's great. So I'm not even, I won't go into that, but yes, I have their books. Yes. And yeah, they do an excellent job. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. I mean, their entire brand is built on SMS communication, which yeah. to me means in their DNA, they are built on conversations mm -hmm. and they're built on relationship building. And, you know, they have a number in the footer on their website. You can text them about anything. You can ask questions. They can link you exactly where to place an order. They can answer anything that you might need to know to alleviate anxiety about the purchase experience or get more information about the products. Um, they send really playful and engaging content. Mm -hmm. You get a personal line when you sign up to communicate with reps. You can do like subscription orders and add-ons really easily. I'm like, 
dying to get this a look the under way. the hood to understand <laughs> like how they do it. I think they built something proprietary. I'm not sure how they do it, but it's I, incredibly I know, I know well some done. secrets. I know some okay. secrets. I can, I can we'll take this you. offline. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that you used that example um, because they really stood out to me as well because they really, they put it everywhere. Even their sign up looks really conversational where it's like, Hey, you know, just text us at any time. Like if you want to get connected mm-hmm. with, you know, a customer service rep, if you want to manage your subscription, you know, just text back these numbers, et cetera. Um, and I think that's, that's the convenience we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. That's proving like how to make it convenient. Like they thought of all the touch points and they want to be there to show up when one of, when, when their customers are saying, Hey, I need help or, or, Hey, I'm interested mm-hmm. or I'm trying to give you my money or, you know, manage my subscription, like make it easy for me. So we don't just turn those folks away. Um, yeah. yeah, that's a great. Example. And I would, I would say you don't have to, you don't even have to be using SMS. I think you should, but you don't have to have a super complex system custom mm-hmm. built to do that. And you mentioned Olipop earlier and one of my favorite Twitter followers is um, Eli Weiss from Olipop mm-hmm. because I think that they have just mastered the art of social listening. Mm-hmm. I feel like once a week I see him respond to someone on Twitter who like mentions the brand and says that they want to try it. Like last week, some lady was like, I don't know if I want to spend this much on this soda pop. And he replied publicly and said, I would love for you to try it. Will you DM me so that I can send you some? Like there's just, there's so many structures in place for us to just be out where our customers are Mm -hmm. and listening to what they have to say and responding. And I think it is an absolute disaster on social that some brands are running ad campaigns and that there's comments asking questions, maybe providing criticism about something in the ad or something about the product and that there's not someone brand side there responding to it Mm. and letting them know, like, we care enough about how people are reacting to our advertising and to our our product in public spaces that we want to address it publicly. And then even on own channels, if you've got people leaving reviews on your site and they're not positive reviews and you're not responding, like, come on. Um, I got my start in e-com at Paula's Choice Skincare and they're a much bigger brand than they were when I started there. And I did not go on to validate this, but we used to have this incredible um, head of content who would personally respond to every single subpar or negative review to reach out and like get their contact information, figure out what didn't go right, send them a new product, coach them how to use it. Like the impact that that has on brand loyalty is difficult to measure, but it is invaluable. Mm. And I think that as marketers, we fall into this trap of if we can't measure the exact return on investment for something, then we're just not going to do it. Mm. And so I think that's that's part of what the Olipop model like is so fascinating to me because of that. It's like it doesn't scale. Yeah. But that's the whole you know thing. that it's impactful. You just do because I've never even tried Olipop and I watch the way that Eli interacts on Twitter. I'm like, I gotta buy Olipop. Mm-hmm. Like I feel loyal to the brand. I feel like talking about the brand and I haven't even tried the product yet. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and we have the great fortune of, we're going to be talking to Eli uh, later this week, actually. So I'll save a lot of that. Yeah. We're so stoked because everything you just identified is what has stood out to us as well. And, but specifically the, like doing the things that don't scale, 
doing the things that you can't just measure ROI on because you know that it is the right human experience. And that's what's going to make someone brand loyal because I, it's, it seems so interesting. And I, I think I've brought this up on Twitter chats and whenever I can, can say this, because I think as marketers, we, we forget the golden rule a lot of the time of like treat people, you know, how you want to be treated. Like, you know, do you, do you want an onslaught of, of emails seven times a day or, you know, whatever. Do you, do you want a, a text message at two o'clock in the morning? Like, first of all, can't do it. There's, there's regulations around it, but people <laughs> lose sight of that and they just don't stop and think like, oh, is this, is this an experience I would actually enjoy? Is this a surprise and delight moment that I, you know, I, as a, as a consumer receiver of that would love. Mm -hmm. And I agree with you. I think Olipop has set the bar really high there, but also shown like, it's not that hard. <laughs> It's not high bar, but it's because there's not as many folks doing it. Um, so I'm so glad you brought up that example, and we can't yeah. wait to talk, to talk to Eli more about that. Oh my yeah. god, I'm so excited to listen to that episode. <laughs> so especially another example too, just as speaking of like empathy and and mm -hmm. doing unto others, um, is over like Mother's Day and Father's Day this year. I basically mm. said to my team, it is an absolute requirement that you pitch to all of our clients to allow people to opt out of conversations yeah. around Mother's Day and Father's Day. Like mm -hmm. we have lost 700,000 people so far in the US from COVID. Right. Everyone has been impacted by this. Everyone totally. knows someone who has lost someone. And I think it's important to let people opt out of those kind of triggering communications all the time. But to me, it was like, every client should have this as an option, whether or not they decide to do it. Mm -hmm. And for the clients that we did, every single one of them reached out to us later and shared positive feedback that they got from customers and not even customers that were opting out. It was just customers who said, oh. I saw that you guys did this. That's amazing. Like you actually potentially are missing out on sales because you're mailing to less people, but you allowed people to opt out of something that could be hurtful or triggering or just like not a great experience for them. Mm -hmm. And it just, it doesn't take any effort, you know, like yeah. putting together a text email that says like, click anywhere on this email to be opted out of these communications and then creating a suppression list. That is seriously a 30 minute level of effort. Mm -hmm. And the number of responses that their customer service teams got just around people witnessing it and like recognizing that the brand values their customers and prospects as human beings you can't measure the impact, but you're getting all of these sort of qualitative pieces of feedback that it's meaningful to people. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there's so many little instances where we need to bring more of that humanity into our marketing. Yeah, I love that. I think I'm going to unpack two things. And I think I'm going to start by saying, obviously, what we're talking about here, and I think you've touched on it. Um, and something we're super passionate about is how, you know, inviting customers into the conversation. Like that is largely, I think, the theme and the goal of conversational commerce. Matt and I have talked a lot about prioritizing conversations over conversions at all costs, because I think it really used to be the other way around, right? Especially if you've come from corporate background, as have I, it's send the email every day, send two emails. I worked, I worked for Bath and Body Works, you know, sorry to all the 26 million subscribers that I certainly sent two to three communications, you know, a day, two on some occasions, because it was the business goals over everything else. And we did very little to ask people what they wanted. 
Um, so I think I'd like to, yeah, kind of focus on that of that's a great example of where it's very easy for brands to invite that conversation. Um, it, you know, invite their customers into the conversation rather than us just talking at customers. Um, and even having, you know, generic preference centers set up where as marketers, I mean, they're a pain in the ass. I will say it, email preference centers are a pain in the ass to manage. Um, not people don't want to fill them out. It's hard to manage mm -hmm. that data. And I think we think that those are one of those things that like you can build it once you can set it and forget it. You, you know, you're giving people that option, but usually they're not great options, especially if we're not really revisiting that. Um, so I love that. And I also really loved, um, what you said, and I'm trying to phrase this in a, in a more question format of the importance of responding where your customers are talking to you. Cause I think mm -hmm. we talk a lot about email and SMS, of course, as being those channels where more of the conversations are happening, but of course there's, you know, there's comments on social media pages. Um, there's comments on Facebook ads. And I think it's really easy to kind of forget that. Yeah. You can have dialogue in those places. Um, and that's something admittedly, even I hadn't really, until you brought it up that way, I hadn't even really thought of like, oh yeah, like conversational commerce certainly applies kind of across the gamut here. Um, would you say that there's brands that you've seen, you know, that are doing it really well more on the, you know, outside of email and SMS, like where are they showing up on social? Are you seeing brands that are great, you know, interacting, um, you know, with paid media and actually showing up and having that conversation there? Or is that something we haven't really scratched the surface on yet? Yeah, I mean, I shamefully admitted before we started recording that I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> um, but I do think, um, you know, I think there's this question of like, are we inviting the conversation or how do we invite the conversation? And I think the conversation is happening. Mm -hmm. We're just, we're failing to engage in it. Are we so not, I think are we not listening? We're not listening mm -hmm. because we're asking, you know, how many brands out there have an NPS survey in their post-purchase? How many brands are sending review requests? Like how many brands are advertising on social where everything can be commented on and mm -hmm. then we're not following through on it. Right. Um, you know, if you have a customer who is getting an NPS survey and they're rating their experience as a one and you're not doing anything with it, why the hell would they tell you what they think about anything else? Like what good comes of it? Mm -hmm. So I think the big issue is that we're not making good on our end of the bargain mm. and we're not showing them that their feedback and input means anything to us. So mm. if somebody's leaving a negative product review and we're not reaching out and saying, we're so sorry you had a poor experience, let's facilitate an easy return. Let's do an exchange. Let's give you a credit. Then why would they continue to do business with us? First of all, and if they did, why would they give us feedback ever again? Mm. So mm. I think we're just kind of, missing the mark on making good on some of the information and inputs that we're already receiving because so much of the conversation is already built into the e-com ecosystem. It's just like, are we showing up to where the conversation is happening and are we mm. as brands engaging in it? Oh my gosh. That's so powerful. I love that. I think, yeah, there's so many, so many great summaries from that, but I think the importance I'm trying to, I want to paraphrase and really recap what you said, because I think it's so impactful is that the conversation's happening and we're not necessarily listening um, and that we, yeah, we need to show up where that's happening and make good on those things. Oh, I really, really, really love that. 
Um, I want to, one other tidbit I have too, when we were talking about brands um, that do respond, and I also subjected myself to the great onslaught of SMS communications in the spirit of my Litmus Live talk research. So I did the same thing as you, signed up for so many brands and I was like, let me just, you know, F around and find out who's, you know, going to actually respond back. And one that I was really impressed with, and this is really small, but it literally converted me into a customer, was with Muddy Bites. So if anyone follows uh, Jared, oh gosh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Stephanie, stuff. I okay. One of the one of the co-founders of Muddy Bites is on Twitter. He's fantastic, and they were really transparent about communicating that they they blew up. They basically went viral. Everyone in the world wanted Muddy Bites. They didn't have any product, and it was going to be weeks before they had product to sell. And it's so easy for brands, I think, to try to just sweep that under the rug and be like, well, we the demand's there. People have given us their money. Like, we'll just, you know, we'll ship it out when we ship it out. A lot of brands fail to, you know, even open the dialogue by saying, hey, this is what's going on. Money Bites was fantastic. They put it on their product pages. They said, hey, we sold a shit ton of product. Uh, apparently, everyone wants our product. We're so jazzed about it. We want you to have our product. But if you order we can't ship it to you until, you know, it's going to be like three to four weeks. And they, they very mm-hmm. clearly communicated this. It was on the product page. They sent out email communications, multiple of them, and then a really simple SMS communication. And this is the one that stood out to me because it was just like, hey, you know, we just want to say thank you for being patient with us. We're so excited that you've even signed up to receive these communications, especially when we don't even have product to sell you. So like, we want you to be a Money Bites customer. We're so excited to let you know, like when you can buy again. And they didn't ask for anything. They didn't even say like, come to the website. Cause what are you going to, what, what, what call to action do you have? There? You don't have one. So it was just this acknowledgement, this very transparent human interaction of, Hey, this is where we're at as a business. Like we want you to know this. And so I took the liberty of responding and they've got this cute little buddy, the bite mascot. So I was like, Hey buddy, the bite, like, thanks so much for the update. Um, you know, I, you know, can't wait to become a Muddy Bites customer, like really appreciate the transparency. And like, that's literally all I said. And they wrote back, they like full person response and was just like, thank you. Like so much. Like we want you to try the product too. Like we're doing the best we can. And it was so short, so sweet, so simple, but it was that real human interaction of like this brand was putting their heart on the line and saying like, Hey, here's where we are. They were transparent with me and they didn't, they were probably up to their eyeballs in, I can only imagine customer service complaints or requests of like, where, you know, where's my order, whatever, trying to mitigate that. And they took the time to tell me someone who hadn't even given them any of my money yet um, to say, Hey, we, we can't wait for you to become a customer. Um, and so now I have Buddy Bites in my freezer at all times nice. and I probably always will. Brand loyalty, right? It's not free, yeah. but you got to make it easy. Yeah. Well, and I think so two things. One, it is sad that it was so remarkable to you that they responded. Like people said, they just said like you should have at least one CS rep who is checking on that. And maybe Mm -hmm. like you probably don't get that many responses because I think consumers just aren't used to getting that sort of communication Mm -hmm. back and forth. Yeah. So it's, it's really not that hard to manage and to wow people. But I think that just kind of goes back to like the stuff that doesn't scale is just Mm. the power of these human relationships generating word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And like the example that I always think of is Brooklinen. Love their sheets, buy them because they're soft and because the price is right. Talk about it a lot anyway. (laughs) But 
I had a Brooklyn and Dubai cover for a year and the mm. seams started to come out and I reached out to them and I was like, look, I know it's only been a year, right? but the seams started coming out. Is there any way that I could exchange it? And they immediately were like, don't even worry about exchanging it. We already shipped you a new one Amazing. Be there within the next week. Keep the one you have if you want to get it, like if you want to sew it or fix it or repair it or, you know, donate it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just those little elements of like surprise and delight and doing the mm-hmm. right thing that I, the amount of friends that I have referred to Brooklyn and because of that one stupid story, yeah. it didn't cost the brand that much money. I mean, honestly, like what's the cogs on a duvet cover? Oh my and gosh. Now, how many times have I ordered new sheet sets much to my partner's chagrin because they're a great company and they did mm-hmm. the right thing. And mm-hmm. I, same, like, I was just talking to a friend about this. She was just buying Brooklyn sheets because I referred her and she was telling me about what a great experience she had with Away, the luggage company. Mm. They, like, some TSA agent completely obliterated her luggage and she contacted the company and they immediately sent her a new one. And it's just those little moments of, as a brand, saying, what's the right thing to do here and what's going to mm. be really meaningful for this person? And again, word of mouth is really difficult to quantify, but you know, it's valuable. You just mm-hmm. do. So I, I think that there's so much more that brands can do to make things right. But also to your point earlier about setting clear expectations, especially like we are going into year two, basically our holiday season, number two of fulfillment issues. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most brands are doing a good job talking about it. I think there's this nope. assumption that everyone knows and you've got a lot of people who are new to e-com. You've got mm-hmm. a lot of holdouts who used to shop in person who are now having to do all of their ordering online and they don't know, or they're thinking, oh, well, we've been living through this for the last 18 months. People must have it figured out. So we're just failing to do a good job to, to set those expectations and communicate with people proactively. And like, give them the opportunity to opt out of shopping with you if it's not gonna be a good experience because you don't get a second chance at a first impression. And I think a lot of brands are forgetting that right now. Ooh, I really like that point too. So I think um, one big thing that you just said is like, just because you can't measure the ROI doesn't mean it's not there. Like doing mm-hmm. the right thing has a, a, a an immediate and a long-term return on investment. Like we know this to be true. Like let's, you know, shout that from the rooftops. I love that one. Um, and yeah, for sure. I think we are definitely seeing, uh, it's gonna be a scary time for folks that aren't communicating that. And, and from a retention standpoint, I think that it might've actually been, um, someone from your crew at Sunrise that just, that tweeted this out. And I've seen some fodder around, give people the option to just not receive communications around Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Like if you've already, mm-hmm. say you shop in October, like there's a lot of sales leading up to it too. Some people, you know, they're early shoppers. They've already stocked up. They don't need the onslaught and they don't, maybe they don't need to be reminded that they actually chose to pay full price or they chose to pay more for something that's now on sale or God forbid even worse. It's 50% off site wide. We can't ship your shit for four weeks. <laughs> so I think you can actually, it sounds counterintuitive to say, Hey, here's the door. You know, we're going to let you, you know, kind of opt out and not actually hear from us. But I believe that there could be a really strong upside of people of way more people sticking around. Because you know Mm -hmm. that with every additional email communication that's sent, especially to folks that maybe they haven't engaged in a while, um, and now you're blowing up their inbox or worse, their phone. I'm, I am a little afraid to see what, what happens this year with, with SMS communications. I think, uh, Mandy, you and I are good marketers. We're on the, let's do what's right side, but you know, not all brands. 
want to be conservative there. And I think, yeah, if we cross that line, it's going to be really hard to walk it back. Um, so yeah, just listen to folks, give them the option to tell you much like with the mother's day and the father's day, or we'll call them sensitive holiday communications. Um, maybe, and maybe these are some of those, maybe the holidays are rough for some folks and maybe they're like, this isn't, I don't care about shopping right now. Like that's not what's bringing me joy. Um, so folks opt out so you could actually, you know, hold on to them longer. Yeah. And I think a lot of people too are still out of work. Like we're Mm -hmm. still not in a great position economically. We're dealing with a lot of inflation. Like I'm sure that this is a fraught time for a lot of families who are having to pull back on gift giving this year because, you know, like a lot of this sort of safety net things like eviction moratoriums and like student loan freezes and things. Yeah. Student loan freezes, like all of those things are the safety net is being pulled out from under a lot of people. And so I think this is a financially tenuous time of year for Mm -hmm. a lot of folks. And the reality is, you can either let them opt out and they won't buy, mm. or you can blast them and they won't buy and they'll unsubscribe and then you've lost them forever. Exactly. So it's similar to like when you're emailing an engaged or when an email marketing agency or manager tells you you should only be mailing to your engaged contacts. Like mm-hmm. your unengaged people are not buying. It doesn't matter how many times you email them. Right. So I think showing that level of decency and respect and allowing people to opt out is something that will allow you to keep them in the fold longer mm-hmm. term. And when they're ready to come back, they'll come back. But you can't force a sale through. And, you know, best case scenario there, you're alienating them. So mm. that's so that's good. A loss across the board. Yeah. Well, Mandy, you've dropped a lot of incredible knowledge on us today. We're coming up to the the end of the hour here and we've done, you know, some great talking. So I do want to, we want to give you the chance um, just to say any kind of final words, like literally floor is yours, anything that kind of comes to mind on the importance of retention, things that we're doing well, even if you want to resummarize anything, floor is yours, kind of final thoughts and feelings on retention and the importance of conversational commerce. Yeah, I mean, I think I would just say that the level of effort to implement conversational commerce has never been lower. And Mm -hmm. I would challenge retailers to really explore the functionality that exists with either the technology platforms that they're already using or some super affordable platforms that are already out there. Um, I talk about them all the time, but I'm absolutely obsessed with Octane AI and their conversational pop-ups and their quizzes. Um, really just doing a better job of helping users find the perfect product and delivering a truly personalized experience in exchange for customers giving you data. Mm. Um, But there's just so much functionality that exists now in even a basic, it's not basic, it's a great platform, but like a platform like Klaviyo that a lot of small retailers are using, there's so much capability Mm -hmm. within these technology platforms that a lot of brands are already using that just remain untapped. So I would encourage people to explore new channels that maybe they haven't thought about and really think about reallocating some of their customer success resources toward social listening and being more responsive on these channels, because I really think it can can pay dividends. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I think my final, my final piece on that too, is their platforms are also recognizing the importance of making it easy for marketers to make it mm-hmm. easy for their customers. Right. So mm-hmm. I think Clavio does an excellent job. Um, we'd be remiss, uh, to not mention PostScript, uh, mm-hmm. more to come on, on that, but yeah, an absolute 
cornerstone, I think, in building out the the platform for conversational commerce, and they've really made it their core focus. And so mm-hmm. because of that, definitely making it easier for, for marketers to provide those great experiences for their brands um, and ultimately for their consumers, which can be some of us too. Like stop and yeah. remember, like we are, you know, some of our customers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Mandy, thank you so much. Um, hopefully you're, you not, you're not tired of, of talking to us yet, but I think that's pretty much a wrap on episode one. So we're so awesome. glad you spent it with us. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having me again. I'm like so honored to be your first guest. This is a lot of fun. Thanks Perfect. so much, Mandy. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you, CTC, follow you on Twitter for all of your awesome hot takes? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Mandy Moshe. Mandy with an I. Thanks a lot, Mom, for complicating my life. Um, and yeah, I'm the director of retention at Common Thread Collective. We are a uh, digital growth agency that focuses on helping retailers who are attempting to scale their businesses from zero to 100 million in general. Um, so we have retention services and paid advertising and creative services. So you can check us out at commonthreadco.com. Perfect. Definitely follow Mandy. You won't regret it. <laughs> Thanks, lady. Thanks, you guys. Catch you guys next episode on Conversational Commerce. As we wrap up today's episode, another shout out to our sponsor, Postscript, the leader in SMS marketing for Shopify and Shopify Plus brands. If you're not already using Postscript, be sure to check out their free 30-day trial. That's right, 30 full days, an entire calendar month for free. We've heard some brands have made over $100,000 during their free trial, so don't sleep on this. For your 30-day free trial, check out the link in our show notes or visit postscript.io Again, that's postscript.io to start your free trial today.